It is in human nature to have extremely enjoyable feelings that make you feel guilty. Join me, your host, the one and only Father Sin, every week while I delve into the inner workings of the human mind in my own twisted and sinful way on The Sinful Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. He got the shit there like two days early. You can lie about one, but you, you can't, can't lie, lie about, about two. I don't know if they go off that road. <laughs> so. Okay, I'm recording. What fun. Right? What fun? What fun? What fun? Oh, what have we been doing? It's been a minute since we recorded. This is not even how we start. Oh, do it. Do the thing. Um, five. Hey, wait a second. I'm on vacation. Someone else has to do it. You're not really on vacation if you're doing work as we speak. It's different. It's no, different. It's not. He gets to lay down while he does it. <laughs> and his computer flips into an iPad if he really wants it to. Can well, I have it? No. Okay. No, this is my best friend. I need See a new computer. how I've been replaced by technology? But my work won't pay for it. Uh, you had to ask, right? For work to pay for yours. Mm-hmm. So many people have asked. I'm not going to be any different. <laughs> I didn't get. I didn't get a direct yes, and they sent me the the work order, and I just said, "Yep, yep, yep." <laughs> this is me making boss decisions. Yep. Like, I I did ask my boss. I was like, "What kind of computer do I have to get to work from home?" He was like, "You need a Windows i5 processor." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> okay, I've got one in my trunk." I was just asking. I don't know. That's not happening. You need what mm-hmm. this has. An i5 processor? No, an Intel Core i5. So an i5 processor. An i5 processor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Apparently, that's what I need. Okay, do the countdown. No, I told you. That was the beginning. That was how we were starting the episode. Four, three, wait. Hi, everybody. (laughs) This is Daniel. This is Danielle. And I'm Carla, and we are Hoosier Homicide. A true crime podcast by Hoosiers. For Hoosiers, or for anyone that doesn't know what a Hoosier is. I wrote that, okay? <laughs> a long time yes. ago, I wrote that. She spent probably six weeks. Six she weeks? She still hasn't cleaned up all the, all the different ones she wrote out through. You know, waste a lot of paper coming up with ideas. You wasted that Welcome much paper? Welcome to Hoosier Homicide. Who wants a hot Carl? <laughs> no, Danielle, I don't think that's going to work. I don't like that. We came up with honest to goodness, which is our state slogan. You did not come up with that. We came up to use it. Came up with that. You, you came say. up with the name. And then, yeah. Carla came up with the name of the podcast. I did? You did. Yeah, you did. I mean, I did. You were in Das Germany. Weren't you? Honestly, guys, I don't know. You were on a train somewhere. No, you were on a bus because you nah, were trying to listen to nah, cereal. She was, she was on a fucking train. I don't know you guys. It was a motherfucking train. <laughs> How do you trains. know if I don't know? Planes, trains, automobiles. Yeah. I don't I really don't know. I didn't know I wasn't in the country. <laughs> you weren't because I was texting you. <sighs> Whatever, it worked. See, yeah. I should leave the country more. Uh, yeah. We'll sign you up. I come up with better ideas. So a couple of weekends ago, Carla and I went to a live podcast performance with Brohio. Oh my God, it's already been two weeks. I know. That. <laughs> Justin with Mysterious Circumstances and Hillbilly Horror Stories. And it wasn't like, it wasn't massive. What, was about 50 people there? I'm not good think? at that. Okay, there were about 50 <laughs> people there. And we met people and mostly podcasters. They pulled us up there to introduce ourselves. I was like, oh, I didn't know I had to prepare a speech. It sounded like you had it prepared for years. No, I was a little nervous, but I think I sold myself us well. Me too. And I was like, do you have anything to say? And you go, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So that was nice. We had a lot of fun. We were talking about doing a live show. I don't know if I asked you that or not. You did. And I said, 
don't look at me because I don't know anything about anything. We'd have to talk to Justin more. Justin. He's very nice. I told you a lot of girls would have been jealous of you sitting I don't know why. I just show up and exist. You just float through. I just float. This guy's not. Were you you one of those girls, Danielle, that was jealous? Yeah, were you? I could have sat next to him if I wanted to. He sat next to me. I didn't sit next to him. Yeah, very nice. They had a tarot card reader there. Yeah, I didn't get to do it though. No, well, we sat in really hard wooden chairs. Like, yeah, my back still hurts. My back still hurts. It was very good. It wasn't their fault. That was the f- chairs they had yeah. at the restaurant. Brahio did. Lorena Bobbitt, John and Lorena Bobbitt. A lot yeah. of wiener jokes. Can't yep. go wrong there. Nope. It was on the east side. I liked it. Yeah, the venue was fine. There was We pulled up and I said, this looks like a moose lodge. And it was. And it was. <laughs> where was the moose? Uh, no. Not where, in. Where was the moose lodge? Gina. Gina's moose lodge. Gina. <laughs> yeah. It's not as sexy as it sounds. No. <laughs> I think it's Gina. Whatever, Dean. Gina. Gina. Who names her kid? Come here, Gina. <laughs> well, they're. Their name is Regina for short. Regina. Regina. So then oh, they that's call a her disease. Giner. <laughs> <laughs> and then what else? So we did that. That was fun. And then yeah, honestly, like we every... went to that race for Riley thing. Yes. Last night. Because I asked her where she is. She tells I, me mom the, knew. So the I, exact location. And I was like, for what? Like, you know, the thing. And she was like, race for Riley. And I was like, what is that? And she was like, it's the thing. Where people give money. And I'm it's like, what kids. are you talking about? I was like, well, why are you there for people that donated money? I'm, why? <laughs> Sick kids. She, I couldn't get her just to tell me what was going on. I thought Race for Riley explained it. Every no. Year. You, you think, I, do I think that you do, donate thousands of dollars to Riley Hospital? No, Listen, you don't. I'm sorry. I was sliding on someone else's coattails to get in there. That's why I couldn't, I couldn't get you Figure to tell me. Figure out how my broke ass could afford a ticket. Yeah. I know personally that I have raised thousands of dollars for Riley, but I wasn't there, so I was concerned. You still weren't invited. There's a fair amount of people there. Mm -hmm. How'd we get in? You know, I can. Someone invited me. Yeah, a racer, prior racer, race car driver, a prior race car driver invited. See, that would have been some valuable information to have. Listen, it was hard to think because the music was so damn loud. Oh, so now you're going to complain. The kids yeah. at Riley don't complain. Well, I stood up first because they're like, anyone who's been treated at Riley. I was like, I don't know. And Daniel's like, stand up. I don't. Think <laughs> and then I thought a bunch of people would. Mm-mm, mm-mm. It's it was, just you? Yeah, it looked like just me, maybe a couple other people. And I was like, I'm sitting down. I'm sitting back down. <laughs> and then they asked you to raise your <laughs> hand. I was like, <laughs> you already saw me stand up. Yeah, I was like, what else do I need to do? Juggle apples? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I that would have been cool. Of this podcast. Yeah, I, I just didn't understand. That... Like I, and then we're sitting at the table with uh, the state's most powerful criminal defense attorney, but he was there with his wife, and she's a hoot. Uh, so, anyways, fancy, nice dinner, lots of food. I ate too much, and I might have had diarrhea while I was there. <laughs> you did text me and tell me that and that I had courtesy. You could you could describe that, but you couldn't tell me where you were. I had courtesy flushed. Five times. And I think I was the only one in there. <laughs> Very happy. That explains the look on everyone's faces. <laughs> it was like wafting up through the floorboards. It's <laughs> funny. They're wooden floors. They hold more odor. Oh. But then, but then we got home last night. Mm-hmm. And your mom was like, well, I had diarrhea as well. A lot. Re- a lot. So she leaves and the, four- the now four-year-old... <laughs> Goes into the bathroom, walks out, and goes, Nina pooped and it stinks. Can you light a match? (laughs) (laughs) She told me Nina doesn't wipe her butt. (laughs) I was like, yes, she does. Oh, Mm -mm." my God. She makes stuff up. (laughs) That was the other event. We had a birthday party. It was fun. Yeah. A little hot. Yeah, no one cares. Other than that, that that wasn't too eventful. Besides, the party was a party. Yep. Now I have nothing to threaten her with. I'll cancel your birthday. I can do that. Damn it. But you didn't. You Mm-mm. didn't the whole time. <laughs> the narrator. They knew it was a lie. She knew it was a lie. Everyone knew it was a lie. 
Oh, okay. Do we have anything else? No, let's get the party started. The connection. I don't really feel that good either. Oh, no. Are I you know. have diarrhea? My tummy hurt today. Uh-huh. It could be from the fact that I'm only eating meat and cheese. <laughs> you ate a cu- cube of cheese. I should ate- be eating cheese. The cheese is so good. The cheese just came with the little box of pepperonis that I ate. Pepperonis are bad you for pepperoni you. Pepperoni and cheese for lunch. A half of a half. Starving of, yourself is not a good strategy. I'm really. So not, I haven't been that hungry. I think it's because I'm getting sick. Mm. And I did make chicken. Is the crock pot off? No. How many hours has it been on? Twenty-four. <laughs> it's a twenty-four hour ordeal. It's twenty-four by now. CJ still hasn't texted me, so he probably forgot already. Boris is here. He's the story. Sleeping. Okay, <laughs> the connection I'm going to say is the electronics that you're talking about. Okay. Yes. Someone gets electrocuted in this mm, one. No. Oh. At the end or the beginning? Neither. Maybe not. Okay, Chris Marcuse was a 17-year-old Vermont hustler running a small-time scam online. This is from Wired.com. Same place I got the picture, Oklahoma thing. That turned out good. I yeah. knew it would. For Patreon, yeah. His uh, virtual business was doing great. That is, until somebody killed him. Well, damn, things Ricky. Were, things were not going great after that. <laughs> On the afternoon of March 19, 1998, a UPS driver delivered a cardboard box to the house of 3 Washington Street in Fairhaven, Vermont. When Sheila Rockwell opened the door, she recognized him as the delivery man who often brought shipments of radio It's equipment. a Unabomber! Carla? <laughs> It is not the Unabomber. Oh, darn. That's interesting. I was going to be real impressed. I might mention the Unabomber. Because <laughs> it'll be like, oh, well, the Unabomber stopped to take a shit in Terre Haute once. So that's the connection. <laughs> I would have. go with it. I would go with it if we could talk about it. If you could find a connection for D.B. Cooper, I would research there it myself. You would? Uh, yeah, I can get you that connection. You can't? Oh, yes. Yes. yes! That's the most terrifying mystery to me. I don't no know why. Dies. We've done the one where the guy didn't die and hijacked his own plane and jumped out of it. Very right? similar. Yes. Well, then I'm going to pick some random stories. Okay. Well, if you can connect it to Indiana, please do. <laughs> like we just started this. <laughs> anyway, tell me about the Unabomber. Sheila, 52, carried the box down the hallway of her modest home. Chris was talking on his new Ranger RCI 2990 radio with his girlfriend. This is fancy 1998 equipment. Okay, guys. <laughs> Uh, Cindy McDonald, when his mother brought the package into his wood-paneled bedroom. I hate Gross. wood paneling. Ugh. All 70s people, get rid of your wood paneling. Uh, Sheila handed the two-foot-long box to her son. She didn't recognize the return address, so she sat down on Chris's bed, curious to see what was inside. Chris continued chatting with Cindy. The name on the address on the box was Samantha Brown, 1863 South High Street, Bucerus, Ohio. <laughs> High Street. I think I'm saying it right. B-U-C-Y-R-U-S. Brucerus? I don't, I don't I know. I can't even. My brain's not working right now. What? Yeah. They didn't recognize the address. What is it? Cindy asked. Who's it from? Hold on. I don't know. Chris answered as he grabbed his jackknife from his holster on his belt and slit the box open. Inside was a slightly smaller box made of styrofoam. Well, Inside that box was an even smaller <laughs> box. And on and on and on. <laughs> well, it's probably a bomb then, Cindy joked. The explosion knocked Chris and his mother to the floor. What the hell? Cindy, it's not funny anymore, Cindy. Cindy Lou Who. To his acquaintances online, Chris Marcuse wasn't a teenager living with his mother. He was a 27-year-old father and the proprietor of a Vermont store called the CB Shack. Like Radio Shack. Only Radio not. Radio Shack. Wow, those are extinct. Yeah. Yes, I do believe he that. Was, they were maple syrup conglomerates from Vermont. <laughs> really? That's Wedding Crashers, right? Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. That was the identity Mark Shisko encountered earlier this year on the RCI Federation website, where Sea Beers posted messages to buy or sell the well regarded brand of radios RCIs made by Ranger Electronic Communications. Nerds. Nerds, 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 nerds. <laughs> Chris had a message up. Mark, who lived in Michigan, recalls, it said, anybody looking to buy, sell, or trade radio equipment, email me. I had some stuff that I hadn't, couldn't sell around here, so I wanted to do a trade. Eventually, the two began trying to work out a trade. 
They agreed that Chris would send Mark a Galaxy Saturn Turbo with about worth about seven hundred, a couple other radios, and a few microphones. He was going to start a podcast <laughs> and some accessories. In return, Mark would send three radios and a microphone to Chris. They're going to do a podcast together. <laughs> And they're just going to broadcast it. Oh, wait, a radio show. show. Mm. <laughs> Since the gear was that he was sending Chris was of lesser value, he also included a check for 100 bucks. After exchanging tracking numbers with Chris so each could verify that the other had indeed sent the equipment, Mark shipped his box by UPS in early March. Wash a page, turn your hands. Turn your hands, wash, wash your a page. page. <laughs> turn the page, wash, wash your, your hands. hands. <laughs> But when he visited the UPS website and punched in the 18 digits Chris had given him, he got the message, unable to track shipment. He checked the number again. Same thing. Certain that Chris had indeed had intended to con him, Mark called UPS and stopped delivery. He spoke to a representative of the company's security department who asked whether he knew anyone else had been burned by Chris Marcuse. Mark said he didn't, but he promised to find out. So he's pissed. Like buying and selling shit on eBay, right? Yeah. Like you could yes. get fucked over. But then someone, you have like a bad rating then, right? If you don't send someone. I think so. Yeah. I'm going to buy a mystery box on eBay. That's a thing? Yeah. They can be full of trash though. You never know. Or use dildos? Yeah. You would never know until you got the box. I don't want that box. What's in the box? <laughs> yeah. But what are the odds that it's actually anything cool? Uh, but I watched uh, like people from BuzzFeed bought some boxes and it was kind of like somebody sent them sent a care package it was kind of cute but not worth 50 dollars. no <laughs> i want to start this game to send people trash i got a lot of trash they did open one that had just trash in it <laughs> gross it seems like a waste of money yeah, yeah well in time <laughs> if you have nothing to do <laughs> no one nothing to look forward to nope order your mystery box mark began posting messages around the web the web and on unsent groups. Everyone who has been ripped off by Chris Marcuse, email me immediately. The responses came quickly. Mark heard from three or four people who had lost radios and money to the proprietor of the non-existent CB Shack. He ripped me off too, wrote Tom Cat on March 16th. I'm posting ads about the crook all over the internet. The address I have is Washington Street, Fairhaven, Vermont. Don't mail this liar any money or you'll be poor but wiser. <laughs> Like, that's true and about a lot of things in life. Poor but wiser. If I can find someone to pay the two-way airfare, I will go there and collect everyone's money back and give him some severe dental problems to deal with. That Aww. seems like a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, are you listening, Chris? When you see a six-foot-inch... Six-foot-inch? Six foot <laughs> when you see a six-foot-five-inch dark-haired man at your door, you better duck because I will be about to drop them all. On you noggin. Dude. On you noggin. <laughs> That's what it says. I could feel the building and the windows vibrate, says Raymond Viger, Fairhaven's chief of police. He was on the phone when he heard the boom and he slammed down the handset and rushed out the front door of the town's red brick municipal building. The Korean War veteran knew it had been a serious explosion. The force was too powerful to have been a car backfiring or some kid lighting up M80s. What's an M80? Um, a little explosive. Okay. It took about three minutes for Raymond and Sergeant Jeff Lusk, who was riding in his patrol car at the time, to determine that the noise had come from Sheila Rockwell's aluminum-sided house at the back left corner of the municipal building, 20 yards from Chief Viger's office. So they lived close to the police station. And everyone... Well, we know what it feels like when an explosion goes off nearby, right? <laughs> you go, oh, fuck! Yep. Among other words. Yeah. What the fuck? Never heard dad say the F word so many times. <laughs> yeah, I have. He didn't know I was home, though. Oh, he didn't know you were home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could see fire, Sheila recalls. I was trying to put out these fires. There were discs on fire and a lot of plastic. I was trying to find the telephone. Chris got up and ran from the bedroom door, but he just fell on his face. Chris had several holes in his abdomen and burns and shrapnel wounds all over his face and neck. Most of his upper left thigh had been blown away. I tried crawling over towards Chris, and I couldn't, Sheila says. Every time I tried to get up on my right knee, I'd collapse. She noticed that her knee was bloody and that most of her fingers on her right hand had disappeared. <gasps> yeah, she asked her son how badly he was hurt, but he didn't reply. Chris was moaning. He wasn't answering me, just moaning. So, like, he was holding a bomb in his lap. So I'm surprised he could even get up at all and get out of the room. And, so, and then his mom was sitting right next to him. 
That's sad. When Chief Viger and Sergeant Lusk stormed into the smoke-filled bedroom, they found Chris and his mother lying on the blood-soaked carpet. Chris was face down and unconscious. Above Chris's computer station, a hole had been blown through the roof, and below it, a matching crater was carved into the floor. The plastic cover of his inkjet printer had been melted away. So, like, where he was sitting, like, went straight up and straight down. So, a big hole. Surprised he still had legs. Yeah, that's why I was like, I'm surprised he could move. Sheila was coherent enough to tell Lust that Chris had been standing right over the inner box when it exploded. While they waited for Fairhaven's volunteer rescue squad, Lusk asked her whether she or Chris was having problems with anyone. She told him that there was a guy in Indiana who was <sighs> mad at her son and who had been threatening to come to Vermont that weekend to collect some money Chris had owed him. That's uh-uh. why you never threaten anybody. You like just that. do it anonymously. Because then all of a sudden, <laughs> you're the prime suspect because something does happen to him. Because you've been making threats. Damn, uh, he really took the time to make a bomb. Mark Kutzinger was the closest thing Chris had to a friend aside from his mother and Cindy. Everyone hated him, says Jeremy, a Fairhaven teen who knew Chris. He was a punk. All he did was talk shit on the CB, just trashing people. He got beat up a lot. <laughs> but Mark, who runs a radio computer shop... Chris has guided me through a lot of computer stuff, and I taught him about radios, he says. He's a lanky, mustachioed biker. (laughs) I just like that word, mustachioed. In rural Vermont, people use CB sets in their cars and homes as a cheap alternative to cellular phones or pagers. In Fairhaven, you got in touch with almost anybody, or at least his neighbor, by putting a call out on Channel 1. During long winters, conversations on the CB became a way of keeping in touch with friends since it was usually too cold and snowy to go out to socialize. It's just people hanging out, like in a chat room, Gonzo says. I don't know if I can establish who Gonzo is, but I think he owns... He's friends with Piggy and (laughs) Kermit. Kermit. (laughs) I think he owns another CB shop in Vermont, so like someone in the business. People have their own little channels and they talk about anything from the weather to sex. It's just your typical rag chewing most of the time. I didn't ever heard of talking as the phrase of rag chewing. Me either. I don't like it. Mm-mm. Truckers navigate the highways of Vermont. Also use the CB, of course, to find out about road conditions, speed traps, and directions to their next stop. They're usually on channel 19, what Gonzo calls the working man's channel. That's where they'd encounter Chris Marcus. What do you do? You know about CBs? Fuck is a CB? <laughs> breaker breaker one nine. Run ten four down here, good buddy. Everybody has phones. Everybody has phones. <laughs> I guess in 1998, not so much. We got married on Trucker Day. Mm-hmm. 10-4, good buddy. 10-4, good buddy. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to hit him with the 10 Trucker's clock, who wants it? I put that in somewhere yeah. already. <laughs> I'll lay on top of you out of respect for the way you're handling your big rig. Talk to Teddy Bear. <laughs> What does he say at the end? Okay, shut up. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, okay, we put that in there, audio clip somewhere. It's a Bob and Tom thing, right? Yes. Okay, in a phone sex operator. A guy prank calls a phone sex hotline pretending to be a, a male trucker wanting to talk to another <laughs> male. Male. He's going, I ain't no homosexual or nothing. I've just been in this truck a long time. <laughs> and he makes the guy he makes the guy play along like he's in a semi. <laughs> I might have to put it in again. That's we'll funny. See. Hey, what's going on? Hey, uh, listen, I'm going southbound 95. Yeah. All right, I'm in, I'm in this truck, and uh, I ain't no homosexual or nothing. Okay. I just been in this truck a long time. You got to speak up a little. Can you hear me there, ten four, big buddy? Yeah, come on. <laughs> now I want you to play like you're in the, you're in the rig next to me. All right, you got to speak up on the CB. You're in the rig next to mine, right? Right. And you gonna tell me? You know, you want to lay on top of me out of respect for the way I handle my rig. Right. Okay, let's hear right. you say. You're driving along next to me. Now, speak up. Say it into the CB. Come on. Hey, 10 big buddy. I'm right here on pulling on the side of you, and I want to lay on top of you for the way you're handling your rig. Dude. No, no, out of respect for the way you handle your rig. Out of respect the way you're handling your rig. Yeah. Come back, big Yeah, I ain't no homosexual or nothing. I just, uh, you know, I like the way you handle your rig, too, there, flatbed. You got a powerful control of that rig, and... uh. Come on here, Trucker Head. Yeah. Come back, come back. You're breaking up now. I don't hear you, buddy. Trucker Clock, who wants it? Trucker Clock, who wants it? Come on. Come on. Come on with your homosexual truck drivers out there. Talk to Teddy Bear. Come on, come on with your homosexual drivers. Come on with your homosexual drivers. All right, I got one hand 
on the wheel, one hand on my trucker clock. Come on. I'm going to pull up in front of you, and I like the way you hand your rig. I got one hand on my clock and one hand on my truck wheel. I'm going to tell you what, you ain't worth no damn two ninety nine. dollars I'll tell you like it is, but I'm going to keep talking to you because I'm already excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've been in this truck a long time. You know, I got a wife and kids at home, but I tell you what, they four or five hundred miles from here. It's just me and you out here, son. Pull on over at the next rest spot here, and <laughs> I can't pull over. I got miles to go, driver. I just want you to lay on. I know you're safe. I just want you to lay on top of me. Not like a homosexual, nothing. <laughs> just like you know, just respect for the way I, the safety in which I handle my rig. <laughs> Oh, yeah, driver. Damn, I almost lost control of my rig. Keep talking to me. Come on. Oh, yeah. Come on, me. I'm blowing up just a little. I'm pulling up on the side of you. Oh, yeah. Too fast, you yeah. feel safe behind me, don't you, trucker? Yeah, right behind you there. Oh, yeah. You're doing yeah. a great job. Yeah, you stay in control there, buddy. Oh, yeah. I don't even need no power steering, driver. Oh, man. He's talking to somebody else. Come on, baby. We're going with your gears. I like the way you're shifting your gears. Yeah, I'm shot down, shifting. I'm in climbing these hills. You know, I'm loaded up, too. I'm all loaded up. Oh, yeah? I'm loaded up. You seem like you're carrying a big load there. Oh, yeah. It's plenty of load there, flatbed. Come on. Keep talking to me. Oh, yeah, baby. I like the way you're rolling that big load. Oh, yeah. Come on with your homosexual. Oh, yeah, baby. I like the way you're shifting the 18 gears there. Trucker clock. Who wants it? Gonzo also first came to know Chris as a voice on the radio. Sometimes Chris called himself Psycho, and other times he went by Taz for the tattoo of the Warner Brothers Tasmanian Devil. So classy. That's so nineties. Yes. So nineties. I want to get a tattoo of the Tasmanian Devil. You go for on it. On my neck. Uh, then your kid would be like, Daddy's got a tattoo. <laughs> she would just say something funny and she would. She can't shut up. She can't do it. <laughs> His whole go- goal was to get in there and destroy people verbally, Gonzo says to Chris. So he liked to badmouth people on the CB radio, just regular truckers, like getting directions and stuff. Like he wanted to get on there and yell at people. Yeah, everybody got It's phones. like the equivalent, I think, of like keyboard heroes today, but it's all like text or, you know, it's that was a keyboard, keyboard hero. People like that won't shut people up. That are, people that are really good about talking shit on the internet, but if you got them in person, no such uh, hmm. aggressive word that. would come out of their mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Trolls. Trolls. Yeah, another okay, word. Come on, you yes. guys. I'm a millennial. I'm a millennial. <laughs> Technically, we are too, damn it. Yeah, but you guys are old. Yeah, but keyboard jockeys still. Yeah. A common phrase. Uh, Chris had one of the most powerful CB setups around. Chris's voice was well known to CB users. His audio signature, a digital clip of Napoleon... Oh, there's numerical Napoleon numbers. Dynamite. Napoleon XIV. It's it's a singer, and they're for the song. They're coming to take me away. Ho ho ha ha to the funny farm where life is beautiful. That song. Nope. Nope. Is that a, a Slipknot song? I don't know. Then I probably don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it. I read that, and it's like so that played like your how we have an intro clip to our podcast. He had an intro clip to whatever it was he was doing. Remember when you ran away and I got on my knees and begged you not to leave because I go berserk? Well, you left me anyhow and then the days got worse and worse and now you see I've gone completely out of my mind. And they're coming to take me away, haha, they're coming to take me away, ho ho, hee hee, haha, to the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time and I'll be happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats and they're coming to take me away, haha. He could be heard at all hours of the day and night, so he just played it constantly. I Chris wish I would... could just sit around and do that. I know. Chris would use noise toys. Mm, that created obnoxious sound effects to drown out truckers seeking directions. Mm. That's so <laughs> weird. 
He'd berate anyone who dared to challenge his dominance of the airways. It went beyond teenage mischievousness. Gary Cook, who runs the CB Connection, a shop on the outskirts of Fairhaven, a lot of teenagers are on the CB, but none are as abusive as he was. I would never dream of saying anything like that. The language, the insults. I don't have an example of it. I, I really just like, like to. Ugh, I feel like nowadays you just deferred it all. Mm-hmm. So I wonder. Like Mark, Gonzo at first had no idea Chris was just a high schooler. But when Chris came to visit Gonzo's shop sometime in 1996, he arrived in his mother's blue minivan with her in the driver's seat. <laughs> Chris got anything he wanted, Gonzo recalls. If Chris walked in and said, I want that $4,000 radio, Sheila would find a way to get it for him. From the start, the pair's carefree spending habits struck Gonzo as odd. Then as Chris and his mother began to trust Gonzo more, they told him about frequent shoplifting stories and they bragged about doing all their Christmas shopping for free. <laughs> it's not shopping if you steal. It's a five-finger discount. <laughs> but Gonzo is not the type to rat on someone, especially a customer, so he kept their confessions to himself. Instead, he took precautions. The one time he visited their house, he kept his motorcycle gloves on to avoid getting fingerprints on anything that might be hot. <laughs> 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 I wouldn't touch anything. And they laughed about it. He says. <laughs> like we just did. <laughs> Indeed, based on financial affidavits Sheila filed in April, it's hard to understand how else she found the money to lavish her son with all the high-end CB gear, not to mention a brand new Acer PC, a Nintendo, a Super Nintendo, a Sega, a fax machine. A and Sega. And professional... A fax machine? Yeah, those well, are when I was a fancy as fuck. I definitely wanted a fax machine. A professional DJ setup and a TV and VCR for his room. On the affidavit, she states that she had been unemployed for nearly a year and that her main source of income is a monthly 548 disability payment. So how are you affording like over $4,000 in like fancy equipment? They said stealing. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you don't write that as a tax write-off. No. The disability, though, was Chris's. He suffered from retinitis pigmentosa. Retinitis so pigmentosa, blind. yeah, a vision disorder that rendered him legally blind at night, and he began began narrowing his field of vision during the day. He had a blind person's cane, which he was supposed to use after dark, but he hated the cane, so instead he'd either stay inside at night or have Cindy, his girlfriend, walk with him. So he had a girlfriend mm-hmm. doesn't sound like that big of a loser. No. To supplement the disability payment, Sheila said she cleaned houses and did odd jobs around Fairhaven. Her landlord, the Shermans, paid her twenty dollars for mopping the kitchen. I want someone to pay me $20 to mop the kitchen. That's a lot. 15 for washing their dog, for example. There was also occasional income from parties where Chris and his mother would work as DJs. I don't... Error, 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 error. Well, they had all the equipment. With expenses that exceeded 1000 a month, though, how does she explain all these extravagant accoutrements? When we watched the hotel thing show, the FBI agent kept going, my accoutrements. I don't like that word. <laughs> I think it just means your shit, your stuff. She says simply that she worked hard to give her son everything she wanted. I did spoil him. He was the baby, and I didn't know how long his vision would last. The reality may be more complicated. On January 3rd, Chris and his mother were arrested for shoplifting at a department store in Rutland. Chris had stolen $49 worth of CDs, gums, and pens. Because, fuck, you always need a pen. (laughs) It's not like they give them free out at the bank. And his mother had taken merchandise, including 33 paintbrushes and a Black & Decker drill set. Uh, valued at $91. They'll notice the drill thing. They'll yeah. notice that. Mm-hmm. The paintbrushes, I don't know. What do you do with 33 paint? Do you resell those? It's very Maybe. bizarre. I don't know. Sheila contends that this was the only time she ever shoplift- shoplifted and that neither she nor Chris knew what the other was doing. <laughs> I didn't know he was stealing at the same time I, I was, was stealing. stealing. How would you know? We were in different parts of the store. <laughs> <laughs> Eileen Levagine. Eileen Lavjean, mm. Sheila's daughter, and Chris's half-sister, was says that petty crime had become a habit for the two. There were times I would go shopping with my mother, and she would not only directly steal, but she'd take the tags off one item and put them on another, like a cheaper oh, okay. item, yeah. And Chris was right there, Eileen says. She's got a serious problem, and I think Chris got the sense that if she was doing it and not getting caught, it was okay. Well, yeah, if your mother you know, is telling you it's okay to steal. Christine was well known at the Little Bighorn Golf Club in Pierceton, Indiana. Would you look up where Pierceton, Indiana is? 
Hey, Surrey. Where's... Pearson. Pearson, Indiana. He's Pearson. Thanks, bitch. <laughs> Did it work? Turn your mic back on. It is on. Okay. It's uh, northwest of Fort Wayne. Okay. So how many hours? I don't know, from here? Mm-hmm. Two, two and a half? Over two hours, just because okay. it doesn't look like an easy way to get there. Mm -mm. You have to drive up to Fort Wayne and then go west. North of Indianapolis. Correct. Okay. Um, the burly six-foot-tall, mustachioed 35-year-old trucker held the record at the nine-hole course. Dean was also a familiar face at CB shops around Pearson. Like Chris Mercuse, he'd been bitten by the radio bug. Video killed the radio star. The video did kill the radio star. Podcast killed the radio, too. Yeah. Unlike Chris, though, Dean was a licensed ham operator, which I don't know what that means. It means that you're able to operate the pigs. Like he... A ham radio is a type of radio. Oh, okay. I was like... They're all acronyms so that stand for shit, and at one point in my life, I might have been able to tell you, but you know that, that knowledge <laughs> is gone. I was like, so he was a veterinarian. <laughs> Hams with the pigs and bacon. It was radio station. You turn on, you hear. <laughs> <laughs> and he was never known to be anything but considerate on the air. So again, Chris is just the punk teenager that has to be rude to truckers because why not? I'm bored at my house because I'm blind. So. Never saw that one coming. No. Probably <laughs> uh, got it. It's all the damn it, Daniel. <laughs> That's mean. I apologize to anyone with vision impairment. At least you can hear us. Yes. <laughs> Dean had grown up in Michigan, earned his commercial driver's license in his late 20s, and landed a job hauling steel out of Las Vegas. A few years later, he moved to Pearson with his second wife, Diane. For a time, he worked for Webb at Little Bighorn. By 1995, though, he had landed a position with distribution outfit called Sprint North Supply Company which paid better and offered benefits. He drove a flatbed out of the company warehouse in Warsaw, Indiana, usually loading with usually loaded with huge wooden spools of black telephone cable and earning about 2300 a month. Is Warsaw up by there? I don't even know. By where? Pearson? I don't know. I'm assuming it's all close to each other. Yes. I'm just going to say yes, it yes. is. Yes. It's not important. It was online that Dean first encountered Chris, according to Gonzo. Chris had told him about his dealings with Dean. He told Gonzo about the fantastic trade he'd negotiated with a guy in Indiana. A compression board had been installed to boost speech levels. It was the loudest thing on the air, Gonzo says, who estimated that all the enhancements bumped the radio's value up to nearly 800 bucks. What was strange about the trade was that the Cobra 2000 is worth only about 400 it's an older radio, all brushed steel and simulated wood grain. No one likes simulated wood, wood grain. No. Gonzo was puzzled. Why would someone trade a radio worth 800 for one worth half as much? When he, when he visited Chris, Gonzo saw the 2990 Dean had sent. So he saw the radio. Then Chris told him the instead of sending Dean the Cobra 2000, he did promise he'd ship him a realistic model. A Nimbus 2000. Nimbus. <laughs> Nimbus 2001. And... He sent him a radio that didn't even work, just so Dean would have a tracking number as the two shipments crossed in the mail. So he learned that you got to have a shipping number. As soon as Dean had gotten the junk radio, he started making threatening calls and sending hostile email. In one message, Dean said he was coming to Vermont to sort things out. Gonzo noticed that the boy always felt sure his mother would protect him from any real harm. Indeed, when Dean had called that day, Sheila had told him her son wasn't in Vermont. She said he had been thrown in jail in another state. He's not home. He's not here. On the Rec Radio CB News Group, Tomcat was beginning to feel the heat. And a message titled, Was not... <laughs> a message titled, Was mad, but not a killer. I only found out about it today. And immediately called the FBI, introduced myself, and told them about his bad business dealings. And that I did, in fact, say ugly things on the news group about him. But that is where it stopped. When FBI agents searched Chris's room, they found a piece of notebook paper on his desk next... Next to the computer his mother had given him for Christmas, on the paper was written Chris Dean's name, along with Dean's address and phone number. Investigators also eventually turned up Chris's wallet, which had been in his pants pocket at the time of the explosion. Inside was a UPS receipt date, March 5th, 1998, 
It detailed the shipment of a CB radio from Chris Marcuse to Christine at the same Indiana address listed on the piece of notebook paper. And the name on the address on the bomb package, Samantha Brown of Bufrus, Ohio, that was a dead end. The FBI discovered that neither the person nor the street address existed. UPS traced both of the packages, and according to the affidavit, it had been dropped off at a uh, counter facility in Mansfield, Ohio, around noon on March 18th. It was shipped next day air. They got to figure out where the fuck it came from. A representative of Sprint North Supply, Dean's employer, told the feds that the truck driver's route included Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio. The spokesperson also mentioned that Dean was making a delivery to a company warehouse in Mansfield, Ohio, at around noon on March 18th. Didn't hmm. do such a good job, hmm. did he? On the night of March 19th, Special Agent John Hirsch of the Rutland FBI office interviewed a friend of Dean's. They're closing in. According to Hirsch's affidavit, the anonymous cooperating witness referred to as CW in the document had known Dean for several years and shared his affinity for CB radios. CW said that Dean had been having trouble with someone in Vermont after they'd exchanged radios. CW also told authorities he was the one who had helped Dean configure his computer access to the net <laughs> and that he added that Dean had recently searched the net to find instructions on building a pipe bomb. Based yeah. on the ingredients mentioned in the FBI's affidavit, thumbtacks, clothespin, black powder, and a pipe. I think they said he probably pulled up the anarchist cookbook online and it tells you how to make a pipe bomb. Shit. Five days before the explosion in Fairhaven, Dean had told CW that he was going to send the guy a package in the mail, and boy, is he going to be surprised. But Dean seemed to be ambivalent about what he wanted to do because he also talked about simply paying Chris Marcuse an intimidating visit. CW's assertion in the sprint log entry showed that Dean was in Mansfield, like I said, and led authorities to believe they'd found their man. By Friday evening, the day after the explosion, an ATF agent had been dispatched along with the members of the Casa Cusco County Sheriff's Department to arrest Dean. I can say Casa Cusco because of the episode we did about Colt Wendy, the like 12-year-old killer. Nope. Okay. <laughs> You're like, wow. I remember that. Okay, good. They found him at a friend's house in Winona Lake, Indiana, a few miles west of Pearson. Winona Judd or Ryder? Ryder. <laughs> okay. Better. Yeah. The entire investigation and arrest took less than 30 hours. I think Stranger Things is supposed to be on. Like, it's coming out. Tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wait, Thursday. It's the 4th of July. Okay. Cool. If it rains, that's what I'm doing. Yep. The entire investigation and arrest took less than 30 hours. That's how you know you did a real good job foiling the FBI. The guy's name was literally on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. Like, how would you know? He couldn't know that, so he just assumed I'll be anonymous. Like, no, he had to have your address. He probably wrote it somewhere. Yeah. All y'all Patreon members, I have your addresses randomly lit written on pieces of paper around the house. Does that mean you're going to send him a pipe bomb? <laughs> well, they that means they shouldn't send, send us a pipe, pipe bomb. bomb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A newspaper article noted that Dean, who had no prior criminal record, was being charged with the interstate transportation of an explosive device intended to kill and injure, causing an explosive device to be placed aboard an aircraft, knowing that it could endanger the safety of people aboard. The article also pointed out that if convicted, Dean could face the federal death penalty, which is worse than the regular death penalty. Why? I don't know. <laughs> because it gets performed in a federal prison. Yeah. Oh. It's much more serious. It's more serious. You don't get a, You don't get to get executed in your local prison. You have to go to one of the federal prisons. Like which typically, if you get executed, it's in Terre Haute. here, and then the other one's Oklahoma or something. Colorado, Colorado, I think. But they redid the death chamber in Indiana here recently. Chamber. They put some new blinds up and uh, some draperies. I mean, they don't change the color, new color, carpet, yeah. fresh coat of paint. Yeah. <laughs> Spruce it up a bit. I don't know what all they did. I'll have to look they at it. They put a uh, waterfall in just to soothing. Some, you know, soothing while you're getting your cotton. It doubles your... as a yoga studio. Oh, yeah. sauna? Yeah. Hot yoga. Yeah. I like hot yoga, right? Make you poop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's the thing is I didn't even think about it. Is this kid, it was on his lap and exploded. He put bombs on airplanes or a bomb on an airplane. If it had gone off on an airplane, it would have been a lot worse. Yes. So he had full faith in himself as building a pipe bomb that it wouldn't go off while in transit. 
I was like, how many bombs have you built, Dean? Dean. Well, even, I mean, even if you're shipping a bomb through the mail, that's still domestic terrorism. Yeah, it's, and it just, And you yeah. fucked anyways. Except if you blew up a plane, you're probably getting the death penalty. Yeah. yeah. After his arrest in Winona Lake, Dean was sent to the Allen County Jail in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I don't know if then that was a federal, it's not, I don't know if that was federal or not. No. A few days later, on March 25th, a U.S. Ma- a US magistrate in Fort Wayne ruled that there was enough evidence against Dean to extradite him to Vermont, where he would stand trial. U.S. Marshals escorted Dean to Burlington Coat Factory on April 2nd, and he was remanded to Maximum Security Northwest State Correctional Facility in St. Albans. So why'd they take him to the Burlington Coat Factory? They changed his outfit for the Senate. <laughs> they have had to more look than good just for coats. the new death chamber. Yeah, more than just coats. It was the same afternoon, exactly two weeks after the bombing, that a closed casket funeral service for Chris Marcuse was held. So they oh, couldn't... so he actually died. Oh, yeah. He died, died. Well, he was, he got up, so I didn't know. Yeah, that's sure. why I was surprised he could move at all. But it was sitting on his lap. Like, he could have cut, like, the femoral artery right there. Mm-hmm. You need that artery. It's important. After protracted legal wrangling on June 22nd at the U.S. District Court in Burlington Coat Factory, Dean (laughs) entered a plea of not guilty on all counts. His three attorneys steadfastly maintained their client's innocence. He has a solid and rich employment history. The respect and support of his neighbors and the love and support of his family, says attorney Bradley Stetzler. He has lived a very typical middle-class life. Middle-class fancy. (laughs) Yes. On Instagram. That's good. But in weeks leading up to Dean's arraignment, FBI and ATF agents had been gathering more evidence. According to court documents, agents searched Dean's house, found a styrofoam container with missing pieces. They seemed to match the material used to encase the bomb mechanism. They found hex nuts that appeared to be identical to the hardware used as extra shrapnel on the bomb. They found fishing lines similar to that used as part of the bomb's trigger mechanism. In Dean's backyard, agents found evidence of a blast hole where they assert in court documents that Dean detonated a prototype bomb. So he did test one out in his own okay, backyard. So. And Oops. when it went off, he acted like a goddamn hillbilly on the 4th of July, I'm sure. Woo-hoo! Yeah! Did you see that? <laughs> oh, my bear. Oh, my bear. <laughs> Anything that has ever good that has ever happened in this country started with, hold my beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, indeed, agents found the test bomb's end cap, which appeared to be made of the same pipe manufacturer that made the end cap for the bomb that killed Chris Mercury. So they're finding bomb parts all over the place. Um, Didn't even clean them up. Nope. Uh, there was also evidence that Dean purchased bullseye black powder on March 14th. So the the Oops. bustable part, combustible parts. The U.S. Attorney's Office argued that Dean should be held without bail pending trial. Judge William K. Sessions III agreed that Dean was to be sent back to prison. No bail. Sheila Rockwell wants to get some fresh air. She has to ask her home health aide to help her get into a wheelchair. She still has an external fixator attached to her right knee, a blue and silver device like a metallic tinker toy that penetrates the skin and holds the bone and pins in place. Ah. So she remember her like her knee got fucked up. Just cut it off, damn. As a result, her right leg sticks straight out, supported by an extension attached to the wheelchair. So, yeah, she needs a lot of help, I'm sure. Dad had what surgery like like that? And there's a picture of him in the hospital with, like, two metal bars coming through both his knees. I wasn't born. I think that was an ACL repair. Yeah, it still is, like, really unsettling to see metal. I think what, what, maybe not. I feel like what he had, it's one of those things that nowadays. Is less invasive. Yeah. They've um, come up with different ways to. I wasn't make born. Repairs. No, I don't think I was either. I just seen the pictures. Uh, she and her son were very close. Not only did they DJ together at parties and dances, they also enrolled in a program to raise guide dogs for the blind and yeah. attend training classes together every two weeks in Rutland. Sheila drove Chris everywhere because of his retinitis, preventing him from getting a license. And since Chris hadn't been going to school during the months leading up to the bombing, he was home with his mother most days. So he was really bored. And that's why he was yelling at truckers on the CB radio. Uh, She says she had no idea that anyone other than Dean was complaining about being cheated by Chris. And that even when Dean began calling the house, she was unsure about the severity of the threats. And I think I would be too. Like, go ahead, call and yell if you need to. I'll just take the line. Phone off the line. Because back in 1980, you just leave the phone off the hook. 
Chris's mother acknowledges she knew her son was buying and selling radios, and she says the profits from the transactions were one of the family sources of income. She regularly drove Chris to CB shops and tag sales where he'd purchase used gear and accessories. She also drove her son to the UPS station in Rutland to mail a radio to Christine on March 5th. The broken radio with wood grain. Not the wood grain. <laughs> I knew it wasn't the radio he was supposed to send the guy, she remembers, but Chris said, if I don't get him a tracking number, he's going to kick my ass. <laughs> he said he needed to buy some time, Sheila admitted, and I don't know where the scamming idea came from. Her daughter Eileen claims that Sheila was very aware of what was going on. I mean, if they're stealing together, she's aware of his scamming online. Yeah. It's not a shock. She put the money, she put down the money to buy the radios, Eileen says, and she knew he was getting on the net trying to trying to sell the radios. I'm almost done, Boris. The CB shop owner in Pearson felt terrible when he ran into Diane Dean, the wife of the guy that's going to be convicted of this. At Walmart a few weeks after her husband's arrest, she seemed to need money and she asked him without her husband's knowledge if he would come to their house and take a look at the equipment there. So she's like, I got to sell some of this shit, probably to pay for attorney fees or God knows what else. When the man arrived to appraise the radios, he was astonished by what he saw. His shop had been burglarized in January and the police had never found the culprits. As he evaluated Dean's collection of radios, trying not to betray his surprise, he estimated that about half of the equipment that had been stolen from his shop was in Dean's house. Oops. So he was appraising his own shit. Roughly $5,000 worth of merchandise. Holy crap. Mm. <laughs> so he's like, dude. So I'm sure the wife didn't realize. Yeah, she probably still didn't get her money though. Mm -mm. Eventually, this equipment was seized as evidence. So this guy lost <laughs> twice. First it was stolen and then the FBI took it. The store owner also believes that the RC-2990 Dean sent to Vermont was stolen from his shop. So the, the radio that started this all. So the guy was, was shitty. He didn't even buy it. Mm -hmm. He was shitty because it wasn't a fair trade, but it kind of was a fair trade. Yeah, because he you didn't stole pay for it. it. If I'm guessing right, he says Dean had taken all this hot stuff and was laundering it through the Internet. So while the radio he hoped to receive from Chris Marcuse was worth only about half as much as the 2990, he'd be getting a Cobra 2000 that wasn't hot. So, like, you're scamming. Yeah, hot, hot, hot. A scammer got scammed. Like, you shouldn't be as mad about that. He swindled a swindler. Yeah. Yes. Uh, would he have done the things the authorities say he did if he knew that the person who'd conned him was a 17-year-old kid with, a fa with failing vision, a mama's boy who spent his days on the net and his nights on the radio talking endlessly to his devoted girlfriend? So he believed that this was a 27-year-old 20 family man that had kids. Like, still, I, that's still bad to blow that's up a worse. guy. Yeah. Yeah, either way. But would he have done it if... <laughs> I bet he was shocked when he found out his bomb blew up a kid yeah. and not some man. Dean's attorney spent the better part of the summer trying to convince the U.S. Attorney's Office in Burlington Coat Factory and the Department, the Burlington Department <laughs> of the U.S. Attorney General in Washington, D.C. not to seek the federal death penalty for their client. They searched for every scrap of mitigation evidence they could find. The last execution in Vermont was in 1954, the state has since abolished the death penalty. And Dean's legal team didn't want their client to be the state's first test of the 1994 federal death penalty statute, which allows the federal government to seek execution in certain cases regardless of state law. So if Indiana outlawed execution, Terre Haute, the federal facility, could be like, that's all well and good. It's, if, if the death penalty was illegal in Indiana mm -hmm. and someone went to the airport and made a bomb and blew it up and killed a bunch of people... And the state of Indiana said, well, we're not seeking the death penalty. The federal government could say, well, you don't have to because we are. Yeah, that's what it's like. Um, a lot of people have been, and they have a fancy new death chamber. That's what I was saying. It can be illegal in the state, but legal for the federal government. And if you have one of the FBI's fancy execution places, they'll go, you can do whatever you want, but we like this building. We just put new blinds in. <laughs> and there's a hot yoga room next door, so we're still using it to execute. Wait, what are you saying? That even if Indiana abolished the death penalty, the government can still use Terre Haute Federal Correctional Facility oh. to kill people. Yeah, because it's federal land. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, it's it doesn't matter because a lot of people end up there. Just like in Colorado, if you go to a uh, federal park mm -hmm. or a park that's a national park in Colorado, you can be arrested for possession of marijuana. Oh, I didn't know that. People don't go to the park to get high. Yep. 
I didn't know that. Yeah. Because to the federal government, weed is not is still considered illegal. Okay. If you push your wife off a cliff on federal land, you can be the FBI's going to investigate. We did one about that too, and he ended up in Terre Haute. Okay. Terre of the Haute. Mm-hmm. If the government seeks the death penalty, the likelihood of a trial is greater. But with or without the death penalty, a pretrial settlement could be result. It could result as happened in the Unabomber case. Woo woo! So, yeah, that was a big one, obviously. But they didn't go to trial for that. He took a guilty plea. In the Unabomber. Yeah, he didn't want to take a guilty plea. Man, he liked to talk. I watched him. Investigation Discovery did a Unabomber thing. And there's a lot of podcasts about the Unabomber. What he did, if he was going to build a bomb, he like made his own batteries. So people, the FBI agents were going to scrap metal places to find out like who bought metal during this time to make a bomb with. And they could never, I think he made his own glue too, out of like deer hooves or some shit. So gross. Out they, of horses. Yeah. So Carla they, would be really sad to learn that. I could make a lot of glue. So that's why it took so long for them to find him is because he didn't buy his shit and he, like, he made it. So like this guy has the fishing line and pipe bombs in his backyard, but the Unabomber is in Colorado, I believe. He was kind of like a, what do they call those? That live on just the land and shit. Like he didn't use electricity and no, stuff. No, no, he, he just had, had like, like a little shack. A shack, yeah. A liberal? No. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> He lived on the... <laughs> that makes no sense. <laughs> He lived in a shack with no running water, electricity, and just his typewriter typing up weird shit. And he typed it all and sent weird letters to his brother. Yeah, and, then, and his brother knew that it. The, his brother saw the letters in the paper and said, that sounds like my brother. Because my brother's nuts. Yeah. And he didn't want to believe it for a long time. And then, but... Oh, I think he ended up telling the FBI that the yeah, rambling the FBI, sounded like his brother. The new field of investigation... Forensic Linguistics was the FBI agent that was like, you got to publish the manifesto. Someone will recognize the writing. And he says the phrase, you can have your cake and eat it too, which is the correct phrase. And a lot of people will say, eat your cake and have it too, which Mm -hmm. is the incorrect phrase. So that was one way they noticed him. But that that guy read that manifesto probably a hundred times. I forget Jim something. Can't remember. Anyways, that's that's a good episode. The difference is they said he never actually talked to the Unabomber. At one point, after he got arrested, the FBI agent that put him put him there or helped went to see him and had a meeting set up. And the I don't know someone at the prison goes, Ted Kaczynski, <laughs> not John Krasinski. <laughs> Ted Kaczynski said he's very busy today and he won't be able to see. He's you. busy at the prison. Yeah, in solitary confinement. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry to get off on that, but that's a fascinating one. Christine pled guilty and was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. He is now 56 years old and is serving his time in the McDowell Federal Correctional Institute in West Virginia. The end. The end. Thank you for being so patient. That wasn't as interesting as Unabomber, but it was still a connection. Yeah, it's... uh... Well, the Unabomber went on for years and years. Yeah, and then he, he like went on a hiatus. And he bombed people that had nothing to do with anything that were like... Well, uh, the voices were telling him to do The it. voices were telling him. He did not want to plead insanity, I'm pretty sure. He's like, no, I knew damn well what I was doing. I knew what I was doing. I'm saving the world one bomb at a time. I think that's what I got. That's a good one. You picked a good one. Yes. And I don't. I think there's a forensic files on that, too, because it would be... To investigate, forensic. it would be that would be the uh, the forensic part of it. The promo in this is the sinful show S Y N F U L with Father Sin. We met him at uh, the live show, yeah. and he goes, "And I'm Team Boris." And I was like, "Excuse me, where's Boris?" I'm not just <laughs> listening, you guys. I love Boris. <laughs> yes, yes, and he's still here. So we met him. His show is good. I just listened to one. It was like PCP. Ooh. And before that, he did one like Skinwalkers. Uh, he did say he was going to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I listened to both the recent ones and our promos in the PCP one. I was like, "You trying to say something? You trying to you trying to say something?" I'm T. Boris. <laughs> <laughs> He's great. He's got a good podcast name voice. He does. And iTunes decided to restore our podcast after I worked diligently to edit all episodes. 
So well, maybe we, you should have thought about that before you ran your filthy mouth. Before I said shit and bullshit one too many times. Right. Also, then I got pegged again because I was like, I took out all the bad language and they're like, we found one more shit in the episode of Diary of Fires. And I was like, okay. It was the podcast. We don't know shit. I was like, how am I getting penalized by the name of another podcast? Yeah. So I took that out. No more cussing. No, no cuss words. Everyone that's a podcaster, edit your titles and your descriptions alike in the description of your podcast. You know, some people have like the F word and all the F word. I'm censoring myself here. The fuck word. And <laughs> <laughs> all of their titles and shit. Here, here is Father Sin. More Boris. I love the show and the host. Really never thought true crime could be so funny. That's him. Boris. It's entitled Boris. Texting another man. Yep. Yep. Horribly amazing. Haha. <laughs> JK, there is nothing horrible about this podcast. I've been listening since day one and don't plan on stopping anytime soon. That's Medical 0717. That's my work friend. Is it? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's her Instagram name, so I can only assume. Nikki? Yeah. Okay. Ha. Huh. This fun way to learn. We're all about <laughs> fun here. This podcast is a fun way to learn new things that happened today, yesterday, and may predict what happens tomorrow, whether or not you are a Hoosier. That's Java Jack Green with an E on the end. That's my friend at work. Is it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> this one is my favorite. My review. Nice. Nice. And that is from Red Heart, Green Heart, Purple Heart, Blue Heart, Apples. <laughs> <laughs> In that case, they probably said, nice. Nice. <laughs> So I appreciate all the good reviews. It helps us like iTunes chart and our self-esteem and to keep our podcast from falling below a four out of five, which is nice. Yeah. And Didn't we just get a fresh start though? Or? No, I, I thought oh, okay. all our reviews <laughs> might be deleted, but they weren't. And <laughs> we got another nice email from Jonathan. Uh, from one Hoosier to another, let me start off by saying you guys are fucking hilarious. I first heard of you y'all on Bro Ohio. Hilarious. I am y'all. <laughs> y'all's is all the, y'all's is more than one. All y'all's, yeah. <laughs> the Bro Ohio podcast live when they were here in India a few weeks ago. So they probably heard me introduce us. Oh yeah. yeah. He. He we me she. Mm -hmm. I have intentions to email your show for the last week or two to tell you how much I enjoy it. However, I can't pause your show long enough to do so until now. You guys are absolutely amazing, and I'm glad I found a show that is not suitable for work like I am. I live on the west side of India and hope to run into y'all someday. I'm a lifetime fan now. People oh are so nice. It's so nice. Oh my God. It's so nice. <laughs> I feel good about myself on the inside. I do. Well, you knew how lame we were in real life. I know how embarrassing <laughs> it all is to be near us. He sent an email. Didn't know if anyone ever would, but I did say it a lot. Hmm. The email. Yeah. I would say it. He was like, you can email us. Yeah, you do say it. And someone finally did. No, we've yes. gotten it. We've gotten oh. a couple of emails. <laughs> or people talk to me on Facebook. Um, Toby on Facebook. Toby! <laughs> And he said, and we know the the office joke, but we also had a cat named Toby that I called Titty. 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 <laughs> that was so stupid. I forgot about that. Yeah. I didn't realize that cat's name wasn't Titty. Titty. <laughs> for like three months. Titty, titty, titty. Titty, titty, titty. And then your dad's like, no. Cat. I go, why do you call him Toby? Because that's his name. I'm like, who's Titty? She goes, that's just what Danielle started calling him. I'm like... Oh. Oh, my God. All right. Oh. <laughs> he stuck around. Then anyway. Titty, titty got hit by a car. Thanks. Sorry. <laughs> He's in Laporte, and they have the Bell Gunness Museum. Why'd we oh, why, yeah. Why'd you take Titty to Laporte afterwards? <laughs> well, we buried him on the farm of Bell Gunness where all the other bodies were buried. <laughs> so I talked to him on there. Uh, hold on. Hold on. This is going to be worth it. Tell Carla that she has a hilarious voice. She's funny. I got this unrealistic crush on that woman. That's weird, but thanks. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. <laughs> it's beautiful. I mean, that's not weird. I just don't like myself that much. <laughs> so it's so hard to take a compliment. <laughs> I don't know how much alike we sound or not. Like I, can I think when I'm listening to it, I can barely tell who's That's why who's people I think new. like when there's a dude in the mix because it breaks up the two female voices that it sounds exactly I could start talking same. with... More inflection. An accent? 
Yeah. All y'all. <laughs> so, yeah. They've uh, given me podcasts. Or they've given me case recommendations, things like that. So I could just start saying things like recommendations. Mm-hmm. And then they'll accoutrements, know. Accout- my accoutrements. <laughs> then they'll know it's me because I'll just be like, <laughs> recommendations. <laughs> and I think that's all I have. Does anyone have anything else? We're finally back. It's so nice. Um, and you can find us on uh, Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> you can also follow us on Twitter. <laughs> yep. We're back on iTunes. Dude, we're back on iTunes. Back Damn on it. iTunes. I had to be real polite, too. I was like, thank you for bringing this to my attention. Any way that I can speed this process up, I would appreciate it. Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, no, delete. No, delete. <laughs> like, you're too foul. You're canceled. At first, I thought they were talking about our content and that we have to edit, like, our what we say. And then you like, said, oh, fuck, man. There's no more podcasts. <laughs> no more podcasts. Okay. So, yeah, we're on all those. Back on iTunes. What ifs? And we have a Patreon. We just released an episode about Pitcher, Oklahoma, the toxic ghost town you've never heard of. Right? Modern day. Modern mm-hmm. day toxic ghost town you've never heard of. We delivered a load there. And I said, where's Pitcher, Oklahoma? That's how you found it? That's how I found it. And went, oh. Then I started reading the articles and neglecting my job and just like got real sucked in. Mm -hmm. I found a good uh, document on it or an article on Wired.com also. It makes you just want to like not eat lead. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, I'm glad it took an article to convince you of that. Yep. And for honest to goodness... Stay out of the corn. Boris. Don't eat that. Come here. No, no, stop. stop. Your head's big. Stop. Back up. Thank you. Oh, yeah, bye bye. Oh, he knew not where he's going. He likes him. I like that smell. No, my cord. My cord. Never mind the closer I got, so we're more future. <laughs> Scream, man. I'm going to climb up there and see if I can get, get the smell of <laughs> His strawberry. That's what he chews on. It's not chocolate-covered strawberry, so it was put in a, in a donkey's ass. Is it scented? <laughs> no, I don't oh. think so. It's held up pretty well. Bark box. Hey, if they're a sponsor, I'll take it. Spanchies. Spanchies. Boris, get off my stuff. Boris. Oh, he's still drooling. (laughs) Okay. Do you have anything to say, Boris Karloff? Is that so? (laughs) You'd probably say speak and he would talk. Speak. Because you got a bone? Speak. Oh, bite my uh, nipple. <laughs> <laughs> He's been so good, but you had to eat that apple. He goes, you know I love apples. I'm well behaved. I'm just sitting here chewing on you. He's okay. like eating corn on the cob. Like that's how he that's how he Nibbles. chews on you. <laughs> we had corn on just the cob. Because your taste your hands still taste like the apples. Yep. <laughs>